Right now we turn our attention to the Bible, the Word of God, and we want our hearts to be stirred through uh, the uh, challenge from God's Word today. I'm going to preach a sermon to you that isn't going to be a new concept to anybody here. There's not a person here that does not already know that you're supposed to do this. There isn't a person here, I, I believe everyone here is trying to do this on some level. But I hope the sermon this morning will challenge all of us to do a better job of this. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word, Matthew chapter 22. We are continuing our series, The Coming to God, as we look at the various commands of our Lord Jesus Christ. This might be the one command that all of us know and we maybe even offer first if asked, give me a command of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read from 37 down through verse 40. I'll begin in 37, we'll begin together in 38, and we'll read down through verse 40. The Bible says, Jesus saith unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind together. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. A lawyer comes to Jesus and says to Him, What is the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment? We've covered a lot of commandments of Christ this year that Jesus gave Himself. And Jesus said, Of all of the commandments that I could give you, this one is the greatest. To love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. The title of our sermon this morning is this command. Love God with all your being. Do you love Him this morning? Could you love Him more? So could I. Let's pray. Lord, help us as we look at these truths. Stir our hearts. God, I'm going to be preaching to the heart this morning because this is a truth all of us already understand in our head. Lord, we waver. We're not always where we ought to be, what we should be. So Lord God, I ask that You put Your finger in the areas where we fall short. And Lord God, help us. Grow us. May we leave here today changed and committed to love You more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if you would, take your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy. That's the fifth book of the Bible in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy. Quite a bit of the sermon this morning, we're going to be in the book of Deuteronomy. And because this command that Jesus is giving us is first found in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6 to be exact. And then repeated in Deuteronomy chapter number 10. And so, Jesus is quoting an Old Testament passage here. And so as we consider this command of Christ to love God with all our being, we'll go back to the place where it was originally given and we'll seek to understand it. This is the greatest command in the entire Bible. And it is to love God. In fact, this command of Christ, as I said a moment ago, goes all the way back into the Old Testament. Look with me at Deuteronomy 10 and look at verse number 12. The Bible says here, Moses speaking to the Israelites, And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God... What is that next word, church? Require. What doth the Lord thy God 
require of thee. Alright, this is a requirement of God to the Israelites, repeated in the New Testament by Jesus, so it is a requirement for us as well. Here it is. But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all His ways, read that next phrase with me, and to love Him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. To keep the commandments of the Lord and His statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. God gives us these laws for our good. Turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy 6 and verse number 4. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 4. This is known as the Shema in the Hebrew world. This, is, this uh, passage is quoted in Hebrew by uh, our Jewish friends on a regular basis. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul. See it there? And with all thy might. You know what that means? Love God with every fiber of your being. It goes on and says, And these words which I command thee this day shall be where? In thine heart. Do you really, I mean deeply, love Him? Some would say, How could I love someone I have never seen? That reminds me of the story of a little girl named Emily. Emily said to her dad, she said, Papa, do you love Jesus? Emily's father contemplated what was said for a moment. He was not a religious man. And he looked at his little girl and he said, Emily, he said, Jesus is dead, my dear. He died long, long ago. He was crucified and that was the end of him. Emily rebutted. She said, but but Jesus rose again from the dead and He's alive and uh, He gives life. And in fact, everything that we know and have today that's good is a result of Jesus. How can you not love Him, Papa? And Dad replied, Emily, how can you love someone whom you've never seen? Emily sat there for a moment and had nothing to say back. And the dad smugly felt like, you know what, I got one over on her. Little eight-year-old, nine-year-old girl, I got one over on her. And she thought for a good long while. and She broke the silence and said, she said, um, Dad, I don't remember my mom. How old was I when she died? He said she was six months old. She said, well then, for all practical purposes, I've never seen my mom. I don't remember her. But you keep her memory alive by telling me about her because you want me to love her. And she said, and I do love her even though I have never really seen her. The dad picked up his little girl and wrapped him up in his arms and with tears running down his cheeks, he kissed her and he said, Sweetheart, pray that God will give me a new heart that will be able to love Jesus. Little Emily did pray that that evening and in short order, he did love Jesus. He gave his heart 
to someone he had never seen. The songwriter put it this way, The longer I serve Him, the sweeter He grows. The more that I love Him, listen up now, the more love He bestows. Each day is like heaven. My heart overflows. The longer I serve Him, the sweeter He grows. Every need He is supplying. Plenteous grace He bestows. Every day my day gets brighter. The longer I serve Him, the sweeter He grows. There was an old countryman who had grown up on a farm his whole life, plowing fields and tending to animals. And One day he received a gift from his family in his old age. He got aboard a plane and for the first time he flew over to London and uh, walked around the big city. Never been to a place like London before. Never really had been very far from his own home. While in London, he walked into an art gallery and this old country man with his suspenders and his, his dirty clothes and his straw hat and his weathered face, he is walking around taking in all of the sights in this art gallery. And he happened up to a painting of the Lord Jesus Christ hanging on the cross. And he took off his hat. He forgot where he was and in a way that would be labeled as uncouth and inappropriate by many, he belted out, I love Him! I love Him so! He stood there as a tear trickled down his face. One man walked up to him and put his arm on his arm. And he said, and I love Him too. And a third, and so do I. And then a fourth and a fifth until in this art gallery in the middle of London, people who were complete strangers a moment ago were united by a bond because of their love for Jesus. I propose that God has commanded us to love Him. This command is right. This command is reasonable. He calls us to love Him in a twofold way. He calls us to love Him by our admiration. Oh, how we ought to admire God who has earned the right for us to love Him so. Your heart should swell as you think about who God is and what He has done. Uh, your heart should flutter a little bit. Uh, you're, you should be overwhelmed with emotion. There should be times where the hair on the back of your neck stands up a little bit as you think about how great God is and how good God is and how much He loves you each and every Every day. Amen. Friday night, I sat in my office and I had a time of worshiping the Lord. I do this regularly, but Friday night, I needed just a little bit extra helping of worshiping God. I began to sing some songs along with some music I was playing in the speakers of my office and I began to worship the Lord and I had to close my office door because I was getting just a little excited. And the teens had a teen activity upstairs and I didn't want to interrupt Pastor Andrew's preaching up there. Tear trickled down my face. My heart was full of admiration for a God who is everything and infinite in every way. 
But for some reason, the God of the universe looked down at this pathetic, wicked sinner and He loved me. He loved me when I was His enemy. He is worthy of our admiration. But we ought not just love Him through our admiration. We also ought to love Him through our actions. Boy, there ought to be some things that we do in our schedule on a regular basis where God looks down and said, I know He loves me. I know she loves me. Not just because of what He says or what she says. or I know He loves me or she loves me because of what He does. I know that there are actions in her schedule every week that reflect her love for me. I want us to look closely at Deuteronomy chapter 10 where this command of Christ was first given to us in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 10, Deuteronomy 6 will be in both of those places mostly this morning. And I want us to see three thoughts as we continue this series coming to God and consider this command of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, to love God with all your being. Number one, let's talk about the catalyst. The catalyst. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Look with me at verse number 15. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse number 15. The Bible says only the Lord had a, I love this word, delight. He had a delight in thy fathers to love them. And He chose their seed after them. Even you above all people as it is this day. Look down at verse 22. Deuteronomy 10, look at verse 22. Thy fathers went down into Egypt with threescore and ten persons, and now the Lord God hath made thee as the stars of heaven for multitude. We know that God called Abraham out Ur of the Chaldees, and God gave to Abraham Isaac after a long, difficult journey. And, and then uh, God gave Isaac, uh, uh, Esau, and Jacob. And God called Jacob to be his own. And, and God gave Jacob twelve children, and uh, those or twelve boys rather. And those twelve boys, and they would move uh, from uh, uh, Canaan land where God had originally given them, and they would move into Egypt. And there they would become slaves at the hand of Pharaoh. And they would grow great in multitude. They would go from 70 people to well in excess of a million people. And they would become great in a nation there in bondage. And then Moses would come and he would lead them out of bondage across the Red Sea and across the desert. Eventually Joshua would take them into the Promised Land. And there God would love on His people by giving them the land that had been promised there to Abraham. And listen, I'm not an Israelite. I'm not a Jew. And I was never in bondage in Egypt. But can I tell you this? There was a day where I was under the bondage of sin. And just like the taskmaster Egyptians enslaved the Israelites, sin had me in bondage. And I couldn't help but do wrong. I couldn't help but sin. I couldn't help but break God's law. I was in bondage to sin. And then Jesus Christ, He came along and while I was not led out through the Red Sea, I was led through the blood of Jesus Christ. And He washed away my every sin. I've been given 
freedom and liberty from the bondage of sin. I've been promised a home in heaven and one day I'll live forever with the Lord. God chose me when I was unlovely and I was wicked. Just like if you're saved here today, God has chosen you. Why is it that I love God? Because His kindness and His love toward me was not obligated. While I was unlovely, Romans 5 says, while I was His enemy, He chose to love me. 1 John 4.19 famously words it this way, we love Him, why church? Because He first loved us. Why is it that we love God? Because we were made in His image and likeness. We love Him because He first loved us. If you're here today and you are a parent, then you will know very well what I am describing. I remember when my children were born. There was never, there's never been a more magical experience than being in the room when my children were born. Now, it was a pretty pain-free experience for me. Not so much for Angela, but it was, it was uh, pain-free other than my hand being crushed. It was pretty pain-free. But I remember when Matthew was born and they placed Matthew in my arms, the emotion that rushed over me. Every parent in here knows exactly what I'm talking about. There is nothing greater, nothing greater on earth than to have a child placed in your arms. While I enjoyed having Matthew placed in my arms, there's nothing that could replace that. Those of you here that have had both a son and a daughter know that when they place that little girl in your arms, it's even more different than when they place a boy in your arms. Remember when April was born, she came out of the womb like most children do, kicking and screaming. Been kicking and screaming ever since, amen? I'm just teasing. She's a sweet, sweet girl. They took her and they cleaned her up and they weighed her and they cut the umbilical cord off and... They got her all wrapped up and, you know, they seem to put every newborn baby in the same blanket. You notice that? I don't think it matters. You could be born in the middle of Siberia. You're still getting that blanket. Amen. I don't know who, uh, who's in charge of those, but um, they, uh, they wrapped April up in that blanket. And I remember, remember when they placed her in my arms. She was crying until that moment. And the moment they put her in my arms, she stopped crying. And I looked down and I said her name for the first time. And when I did, she opened up her eyes. For about 20 seconds, we locked eyes. And I talked straight to her little heart. As April aged, two, three, four years old, I would ask her, April, do you love me? And she'd say, yes, I do. And when she was little, I'd say, why do you love me? And when she was really small, she didn't know what to say back, so she just was quiet. And then one day, about five or six years old, I asked her that question again. And after a moment of silence, she looked back at me and she said, Daddy, I love you because you love me. 
I asked you that again this week, didn't I? (laughs) Why is it that you are to love God? Because when you were unlovely, God chose to love you. I, I'm left with this question. Why is it so hard to reciprocate God's love? Now, I, I pastor you all and I work with you all. I am on the phone with you all throughout the week and have some of you in my office. And Sometimes i got to chase some of you down and ask you where you've been and I know from both being living the human experience and working with you all that loving God back is not as easy as it sounds. It's hard. There's a lot of things that get in the way. Why is it so hard to reciprocate God's love? I counsel marriages as part of being a pastor. And... Over the years, I've had married couples come see me who were just in the throes of nastiness. And I've heard some very awful things said between husbands and wives. I remember one couple sat in my office and the husband was just cold toward his wife. The wife was very emotional and passionate. Finally, after a time, She looked at him in my office and she said, Why won't you just love me? I love you. I don't know how to love you any more than I do. And you won't love me. Please, I'm begging you, just love me back. And I think sometimes God, He looks down at us as He showers us with salvation. And then He showers us with blessings. And He takes care of our needs. And oftentimes He even gives us our wants. He kisses us every morning with His sunshine. He pours down His showers from the sky to make the grass green. He gives us birds that fly overhead and chirp in the trees. He he puts His angels around us to protect us from the pain and suffering in life. And we go and we move through life and we don't even take the time to stop and tell Him we love Him. We don't take the time to pray. We're unfaithful to church. We're unfaithful in our service. We're unfaithful in our giving. And sometimes I think God looks down at us and He says, why won't you just love me? I love you. I love you. I love you. My mercies are new every morning. Great is my faithfulness to you. Why won't you love me? And I'm left to answer this question as I battle my own flesh. Why is it so hard to reciprocate God's love. We talked about the catalyst. Number two, let's talk about the competition. The competition. Let's talk about why it's so difficult to love God back. We can look at the children of Israel and we can see from their example how they struggled and we can look in the mirror to ourselves and see yet that we struggle the same way. Letter A, notice our forgetfulness. Our forgetfulness. Look at Deuteronomy 6 with me. Look at verse number 10. Deuteronomy 6. Look at verse 10. Right after in verses 5 and 6 where God says, Love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We look down at verse 10 and we see the first... 
Uh, first item in competition with the love of God. Look there, it says, And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which ye swear to thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of good things which thou fillest not, and wells dig which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not. Uh, when thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, look here, lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt uh, from the house of bondage. He says when you move into... That land that I'm going to give you, you're going to inherit houses that you didn't build. You're going to inherit wells that you didn't dig. You're going to inherit vineyards and olive trees that you didn't plant. You're going to walk into a place that's turnkey ready for you to live because I am the Lord that brought you from bondage and I'm going to set you up in a place of great success. And He said, when you get there one day, never forget where you came from. Never forget where you came from. God says, I want you to love Me. Why? Because I saved you from an eternity in hell. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5 begin this way. The first three verses of that chapter lay out the sinful human condition and how lost and broken we are, how that we live under the condemnation of hell. But verse 4, those two words right there, they completely change the human destination. Here it is. But God. Oh, thank goodness for those two words. But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, oh, I love this, have quickened us, brought us back to life, have quickened us together with Christ, and if it couldn't get any better, we get this phrase in parentheses, by grace ye are saved. Our loyalties are challenged. Our loyalties are challenged. But I'm going to tell you where my loyalty lies. My loyalty lies with a man, with the eternal God, that saved my soul from hell. A God who would send His only Son, only begotten Son, to stand between me and hell, and suffer for all of eternity, that being deserves my love. God says, love me, because I saved you from hell. Back in 2005, I was living in northwest Indiana, about an hour outside of Chicago. On the weekends, I would leave my dorm room where I was studying for church ministry, and I would drive into Chicago. In fact, I worked in the same neighborhoods where Barack Obama did his community organizing before he was the president. Right off of Martin Luther King Boulevard and 111th was my neighborhood, and there I worked those neighborhoods inviting people to church. There was one family, I had met the kids at the door, and I invited them to church, but mom was not home that week. 
And so I got the mom's phone number and I called and she said the only time that I could meet with you would be on a Saturday evening at about 8.30 at night. Well, when you are arriving in Chicago to do your visitation at 11 o'clock, 10, 10, 11 o'clock in the morning, you don't necessarily want to be stuck in Chicago until 8.30 at night. In fact, normally I, my routine was to go back about 7, 7.30 uh, to go back to college and get ready for church the next day. And, and so it was, it was winter time. It was windy. It was cold. It wasn't exactly the safest neighborhood. But I made the decision that I was going to stay that next Saturday and meet with this woman to invite her kids to, so her kids could come to church the next day. And so at about 8 o'clock, I was parked in front of her home in my car, my drafty little car. I was a broke college kid. I was driving a Saturn SL2. Anybody here remember the old Saturn cars? All right, stick shift. I learned how to drive a stick shift in the traffic in Chicago on the Dan Ryan. If you don't believe in God, give that a shot. Eight o'clock, I'm sitting there waiting for her to show up, hoping she'd be early so I could get the visit with and go home. 8.30 came and she was not there. I remember thinking, well, I've done my part. I'm going back. Something inside of me said, nope, you need to stay and wait a little bit longer. 8.35, 8.40, I said, I'm going to give her till 8.45 and I'm going to go. Just before 8.45, her car pulled up. She got out of the car with her two kids. I got out and greeted her. She invited me inside. Understand that the racial tension in Chicago is thick. When I say it's thick, if you are Hispanic, you do not cross the street into a black neighborhood. And if you are black, you do not cross the street into a Hispanic neighborhood. You have the gangster disciples and the Latin kings, and they are at war with each other. There are not integrated neighborhoods in Chicago like there are around here. And so, for her to invite me into her home was very rare. I spent my Saturdays in Chicago, and very, very few people invited me inside. Remember, I went in and I sat down there in her living room, and we conversed for a little while, and I asked her about her soul. She did not know where she'd spend eternity. She said, in fact, many nights I have tossed and turned wondering whether or not I was going to go to hell when I died. And I walked her through the Scriptures, and I told her the story of how Jesus had died on the cross to save her soul from hell. Remember, I got down to the end of that Gospel presentation. And I looked at her and I said, if the Lord Jesus will receive you as you are, as a sinner, are you willing to open up your heart and receive His love? Let Him be your Savior. Tears began to run down her cheeks. And she said, how could I say no to someone who loves me that much? One of her children was too young to really understand, but her and her preteen son got down on their knees and they gave their heart to Jesus that day. Do you remember when that happened for you? 
You see, it isn't that we've forgotten the facts of our salvation. It's that after a while, we lose the emotion of our salvation. God says, love me because I saved you from hell. God says, love me because I daily supplied your every need. Those of you that know your Bible and you know it well, quote with me Philippians 4.19, would you? Ready? But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. God promises to supply your need. Your need. He promises. It isn't that God fails to keep His promise. It's that we have our needs. Now I'm going to use incorrect English on purpose here to make a point. You listening? We have our needs. The problem is we want more wants. That's our problem. We want more wants. And so we put a check on how far we'll love God so that we can have more wants. We take God for granted. We take God for granted with what He gives us. We shrug our shoulders at it and then we expect more. I think sometimes as Christians we become forgetful of how good God is to us. Let me put it to you this way. If God came down today and He killed my family and He took my wealth and He left me sitting in a trash heap scraping boils off my body, God is still worthy to be worshipped. You understand that this morning? Everything that you have, the car that you drive, the job that you have, the money in your accounts, the family that sometimes you struggle to get along with, you're not sure if you love them or hate them, depending on the day and the moment. All of it, all of it is a gift from God, and you and I deserve none of it. He daily supplies our need. God says, as I do so, love me. Because I do so, love me. Love me because I saved you from hell. Love me because I daily supply your every need. God says, love me because I give you more than just your needs. I also load you down with extra life benefits. How about Psalm 68, 19? Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits. Even the God of our salvation. And then he finishes with that word, Selah. Think on this. Meditate on this. But God, I want more. God, I want more. We have emotionally forgotten how much our God loves us. We have a God who's fighting for our affection. He wants you to love Him. And He's in competition against your flesh. Why is it that we fail to love God like we should? Well, our forgetfulness, letter B, notice our friendships. Our friendships. Look at verse 14. Deuteronomy 6. Here God offers a warning. Ye shall not go after other gods. Remember the context, the command to love God. 
And here the Lord is giving the, the distractions or the competition straight to the Israelites. You shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are round about you. Now in Exodus, they were commanded not to put anything before God. Remember, little Gabriel Ordonia stood up here last week and he quoted word for word the Ten Commandments out of Exodus 20. That was adorable, wasn't it? Did not miss a word. The Lord, we're to worship Him. We're not to put other gods before us. As you read the Bible, there's a theme that is central to God's Word. I'd like you to open to James 4 while I'm explaining this. James 4. Hold your place in Deuteronomy. James chapter 4. There's an issue we find throughout Scripture. And that issue is that God has to fight with our affection because we end up loving other things and other people more than we love God. And God equates it to an unfaithful wife. That's the raw emotion God feels. I've been very blessed with my wife. My wife is a woman of integrity. My wife is a woman who's been very faithful to me. Sixteen years. I've never had one ounce of reason to suspect that she was romantically interested, emotionally interested in anybody other than me. You say, well, why would that be? Because it's me. Amen? No, that's not why. (laughs) Because she's a woman of integrity. But if I were to come home and find out that she had a, a boy on the side she'd have fallen in love with, they've been sexually unfaithful with, can't even begin to imagine the gamut of emotions I would feel. Some of you here, unfortunately, have had to go through that. There are some of you in here, I have wept tears with you over that. I have hurt for you over that. And God says, I've earned the right to love you, and when you go and love the world, the systems of the world, the people of the world, the sin of the world, you love money more than me. You love things more than me. You love houses more than me. You love prestige and fame more than me. I feel like that man with a cheating wife. Look at James 4, verse 4. Look how strong it's worded. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Let me ask you a question this morning. The friendships that you have, Do your friends push you to love God more or do they distract you from loving God more? Nothing wrong with having friends. I've got lots of friends. I'm going to confess something. You go to a Catholic church, you confess to the priest, you come to a Baptist church, the pastor confesses to you. Amen? 
I have a hard time on friend day. I do. Because I don't have a lot of friends outside of church. I have to reach to invite someone and say, hey, you're my friend. And they look at me and say, am I? (laughs) Yeah, you know, I mean, Joey, right? No, it's Steve. Okay. Why is that? Because my whole world is wrapped up with being friends with people who push me to love God more. You saying, Pastor, is it a sin to have a friend that isn't saved? I think you've got to be careful. Is it okay to have a friend with someone who, you know, maybe isn't as devoted to Christ as they ought to be, as long as you're the one doing the influencing? But many of us are friends with the world, and we're friends with people who are like the world. And as a result, we have a hard time loving God like we ought to. Now, there's this very simple understanding of human psychology. This is elementary, maybe even kindergarten psychology that all of us already know. And that is that we're built to assimilate and fit in with those around us. So then by default, you need to be very careful who you put around you. Because you will eventually assimilate to fit in with them. And if you want to fit in with the world, then make friends with people that are of the world. But if you want to fit in and be pushed to love God, then surround yourself with people that love God. Yet another reason why you should be in church three times a week. Because here in this property, in this room, you're going to be surrounded by people who push you to love God that much more. The competition, letter C, notice God's fury. God's fury. Hold your place in James 4. Look with me at Deuteronomy 6. I want to show you the New Testament version of what Deuteronomy chapter 6 says. Deuteronomy 6, look at verse 15. Again, the context of this passage is God telling His people, requiring His people to love Him. Look at 15. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. That's a strong statement. You see that? Lest the Lord thy God be kindled against thee, the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee. How hot is God's jealousy? 16. Ye shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted Him in Massa. Everybody here that's ever either been in a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship or a marriage, have you ever experienced jealousy? I mean either side of jealousy. Maybe you were the one that was jealous, or maybe you were the one that was in a relationship with someone who is jealous. Now, I can't speak to, uh, if you're here today and you're married to a white girl or a black girl, I can't speak to your experience. But I can speak to the experience of being married to a Latin woman. (laughs) And let me tell you, you have never seen a jealous woman until you have seen a Latin 
jealous woman. Woo! Now you understand, for jealousy to happen, there has to be a third party that is showing interest. You say, Pastor, have you ever had a third party show interest your direction? Look, I look in the mirror every morning. I know it's hard to believe, but yes, it has happened. Back many, many years ago, before we were part of this ministry, there was a woman who uh, made up her mind that she was going to come after me, and uh, she was interested in me. I still really don't know why. I'm being honest. I really don't know why. She was married. Had kids of her own. I did nothing wrong. The Lord knows I did nothing wrong. How many of you women understand that your husband at times is just totally oblivious? Okay, I was young and dumb and oblivious. I was never alone with her. Never touched her. Was never emotionally involved with her. She was trying to be with me. I wasn't with her. But you know what I found out real fast? I found out real fast what jealousy looks like. That's how God feels when you're flirting with the world that you were saved out of. Here we are loving the world. Hey guys, you get hooked on that pornography. You're breaking God's heart. You're not just breaking your wife's heart, your girlfriend's heart. You're breaking God's heart. Hey, men, look at me. Women are not an object. They are an equal creation of God that is to be respected and cared for. You be careful what you look at. Ladies, and by the way, women can lust sexually just like men can. Ladies, God does not want you to love name brand clothing and name brand handbags and designer cars and all of the high-end stuff that you put on your face more than you love Him. You say, well, men can be covetous too. Yes, they can be. God does not want to compete with a purse for your affection. Hey guys, God does not want to compete with a sports team for your affection. God does not want to compete with a bottle of beer for your affection. God wants you to love Him with all your heart. And when you don't, He becomes quite jealous. Don't you think He's earned the right for you to love Him after all He's done? For some of you this morning, 
I hope in a few minutes you'll bend a knee and you'll confess your forgetfulness. You'll confess your friendships. You'll confess the idolatry of covetousness. And you'll fall back in love with God. Number three, notice the characteristics. Let's talk about the characteristics of loving God. You know what I love about the Bible is that it's just so simple. It's so simple. And a topic like loving God, it's, it, it's just laid out there for us step by step on how to do it. What does it mean to love God? What does that mean? Because that word love is understood a bunch of different ways by a bunch of different people. Is it some warm and fuzzy feeling I get when I show up at church? You show up at church and you know we sing a song like Around the Throne of God, Behold the Throne of God, or In Christ Alone, or How Deep the Father's Love for Us. Maybe we sing 10,000 Reasons. and uh, you, uh, Maybe you're in your car and you're singing, uh, uh, let's see, Waymaker... Whatever it is that you sing in your car. And man, you, you get into the Spirit, right? Maybe you're singing in church and you raise your hands and worship to the Lord. Let me just say on the topic of raising your hands and worship to the Lord, that that is a biblical thing to do. The Bible talks about the raising up of holy hands. Can I tell you the problem with most churches that have hand raising that go on in them? The environment of those churches is such to where people live like the world Monday through Saturday. They look, talk, dress, act like the world. They show up on Sunday. They hear a bunch of music that works at their emotion. They stand there and they raise their hands. They're not raising holy hands. Oftentimes, they're raising unholy hands. And then they leave after having felt something to go right back and live like the world. You know what? You raise your hand in worship, you make sure that hand is holy. You make sure you've taken the time to confess your sin to God. You make sure you've taken the time to prepare your heart for worship to the Lord. What does it mean to love God? Is it nothing more than just a warm, fuzzy feeling? Maybe, I got it, maybe loving God is when I sing my favorite church song in the shower. My shower in my bathroom is um, on the other side of the wall is my kids' bathroom. And sometimes in the morning I get up and I get in the shower and I start singing. I'm not singing rub-a-tub-dub. I'm, I'm, singing, I'm singing, oh, how I love Jesus. I'm singing, you know, songs about the Lord. Those are really the only ones I know. And you know what? I've got an okay singing voice. It's not great. It's not terrible. It's not great. It's okay. But in the morning, I struggle to hit some of those high notes, you know? And uh, my kids, I imagine they're probably on the other side of the wall. They're probably laughing at me. But you know what? Is loving God nothing more than just singing your favorite church song in the shower? No, there's much more to it than that. Maybe it's this. Maybe loving God is telling Him over and over and over again, I love you, I love you, I love you. Loving God is so much more than most of us care to really understand. There was a young man that spent an entire evening telling a girl how much he loved her. He said, he said, I can't live without you, sweetheart. He said, I'd go to the ends of the earth for you. And she kind of skeptically looks at him. He says, I would crawl across broken glass. I'd go through fire 
for you. I would even take a bullet and die for you. She looks up and says, really? Yeah, that's how much I love you. So he drops her off at her door and he says to her as he's walking away, he says, I'll see you tomorrow night as long as it doesn't rain. How often we say we love God, yet we deny that sentiment with our actions. 1 John 3.18 If you've got your bulletin, circle that verse there. I want you to go back and look at this closer later. Listen to what John wrote here. He said, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but... Indeed, and in truth. Don't just tell God you love Him. Prove it by the way you live. Prove it by what you do. Prove it by truth ruling and reigning in your heart. Go over to Matthew chapter 10 in your Bible. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 37. Hey, I'm not getting theologically thick this morning, but I'm going to tell you right now, every one of you in here, including me, every one of us in here needs to be reminded that we need to love God more. Matthew chapter 10, look at verse 37. God wants you to love Him more than you even love your own family. Wow, that's a radical statement. Well, it's not coming from me, it's coming from Jesus. Look at Matthew 10, verse 37. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. He that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. You are to love God more than you love your own family. I love my wife, and I love my children, but I'm not to love them more than I love my God. Our love is not just a feeling. Our love is to be action. We began this morning, uh, when we began this morning, uh, we, uh, we began it with the command of Christ, and then we turned over to Deuteronomy 10. Turn back over to Deuteronomy 10. We're going to see four actions that we are able to do to show God that we love Him. And these are stair-step actions. Listen to me, church. Stair-step actions. Now, I'm speaking to a mature audience here this morning. Many of you have been saved for a long time. A handful of you have only been saved for a short time. There may be a couple of you in here that have not yet given your heart to Christ. But the lion's share of you have been in church, one like this one, for a long time. And you know that you're to love God. And you've had times where you loved God. But can I just ask this morning, if you're not where you ought to be, would you be interested in a formula that will get you where you want to be or where you ought to be? How many would say, Pastor Lejeune, I'm interested in a biblical formula that will help me to love God better. Would you raise your hand? Amen. God lays that out for us in Deuteronomy 10. Look at verse 12. First we see, letter A, our fear. Our fear. Look at verse 12. And now Israel, what doth the Lord God require of thee? Here's the first step. But to fear the Lord thy God. What does fear mean? 
Is, is being fearful of God, being afraid that uh, He's going to hit me over the head if I step out of line, that is not the right kind of fear. By the way, I do think that many people struggle with that definition of fear. Maybe you were raised in a home with an angry father and he was quick to lash out at you and, and it even hits you out of anger. And so maybe you have the same idea that God is really quick to hit you out of anger because uh, God is just lording over you, waiting for you to step out of bounds so whack, He can whack you back in line. And I want to be clear this morning that that is not who God is. When the Bible says that we're to fear God, we're not to be afraid that God's going to... Uh, 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 whack us into kingdom come or just flick us off the map into eternity. No. Fearing God is a deep, deep, deep reverence for Him. Look down at verse number 14. We fear God by revering Him. We fear God by showing great respect to Him. So, why should we fear reverence and respect our Heavenly Father? Look at Deuteronomy 10.14. I love this. Behold the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God, the earth's also with all therein is. Look down at verse 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and a terrible. That word terrible in the Old English means awesome. And awesome. Which regardeth not persons, nor taketh reward. Uh, God is a God of all gods. He is the Lord of all lords. He's mighty. He's awesome. He is the Creator in the heaven and the earth. Now, we live here in a very uh, busy area with a very active electrical grid. And this electrical grid at nighttime creates a haze over our heads which prevent us from being able to see all of the stars in the sky. I was watching a video some time back and um, it was, a, it was a, a, a shot of the sky as is viewed from the outback in Australia. Wow! There's not a light in the sky, and there's not a light around, rather, by man. And you can see millions of stars. You ever gone out of the city into a country, and gone outside, and just looked up? You can only come to one conclusion. God did that. God did that. And a God that did that that loves me, He deserves my fear. He deserves my reverence. He deserves my respect. Do you know who you respect? You respect people who do the right thing in difficult situations. Let me, get, let me put you in a scenario here, okay? After church today, you go to Walmart, alright? No, first you go home and put your pajamas on, and then you go to Walmart, alright? Because that's what you do, okay? So, you go to Walmart... And um, you're getting in your, you're, you're pulling into the spot, and the person behind you, they back out and they 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 bump into and damage the car next to, or behind them, and then you watch them pull away, and 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 not tell a soul. You know what you think? You think this. My respect level for that person just went down. But you know what happens if they get out of the car and they write their name and phone number and they stick it under the. Windshield wiper. And by the way, if you do that, put the right phone number down. Amen? Okay? You know what you think? I respect that person. Because they did the right thing. Can I tell you today that God always does the right thing? 
He always does the right thing. God is perfect in His character. He's perfect in His integrity. And He deserves your reverence. He deserves your respect. And listen, there is an element of God being far greater than us and the element of God that would punish us when we're out of line and that ought to cause us to fear Him. Our fear. Some of you today, the starting point for loving God is spending enough time in His creation and enough time in His presence where you begin to fear Him anew. Letter B, notice our fellowship. Look down at Deuteronomy 10 and look at verse 12. This verse is a, it is a, it is a, a stair step. You get to the step of fear and then you step up to the next step of fellowship. And now Israel, what did the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God? Look here. To walk in all His ways and to love Him. Once you respect God and you begin to get to a place where you are afraid of hurting Him, then you will make a conscious choice to daily walk in all His ways. Let me illustrate it this way, alright? Let's say that this winter we have a two-foot snowstorm and you've got a little guy who's, say, six or seven years old and he wants to go outside with his dad in this two-foot snowstorm. So the snow is almost as tall as he is. And so that little boy, he opens up the door and his dad has taken the time to step, let's say it's not two feet, let's say it's one foot, step in the snow and create footprints in the snow. You know what that little guy needs to do? He needs to walk in his dad's footsteps. You know what the dad needs to do? He needs to take small enough steps where his little guy can step in those footprints. And you know what? When we go through life and God says, step here, He's not doing so because He's some mean God who's trying to limit your life. He says, step here, because He knows that if you'll step there, great joy will come into your heart. Okay, I think I'm going to step there. And then He says, step here. I want you to change your behavior, modify your behavior, and I want you to do this. And you step there, and then God fills your heart with love. And He says, I want you to step there. I don't want you to go over there. I want you to step there. And we step there in great peace. And in great great goodness. And great gentleness. And great faith. And great meekness. And great temperance comes into our heart and life. Why? Because we are following in the footsteps of the Lord. Some of you here today, you need to commit to going back and quit walking through life your way. And start walking through life God's way. Hey! Stop being so stubborn! Some of you here today, you've been doing the wrong thing for years. And you get preached at in a church like this, you shrug your shoulders, you walk out that door, and there's not one change in your behavior. And you sit there and you don't love God like you ought to. And God is jealous with, against the world for you. And you won't do it the right way. And you just won't change. And God says, hey, quit being so stubborn. And will you just walk in the steps I've given you because I'm trying to fill you with joy. I'm trying to fill you with goodness. Will you just do it my way? Our fellowship. Letter C. You get that one down. Then you graduate to the next step. Our fervor. Our fervor. Back in Deuteronomy 10, look at verse 12. And now Israel, 
What doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God. To walk in all His ways and to love Him. Look at this next part. And to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. If you're going to love God, it's not just enough to spend time like Mary at His feet worshiping Him. At some point, you're going to have to get up and start doing things to show Him you love Him. Well, Pastor, I would do more for the Lord, but you know what? I'm pretty tired from work. You know why? Because money matters more than you than, to you than God. Lord, I would do, Pastor, I'd do more for the Lord, but you know what? I've got all these other obligations in my life and I just don't have time for that. Let me help you understand the fervor for the Lord that you should have. Listen to this story. There's a celebrated Japanese statesman and he worded it this way. He said, we do not worship our emperor. We do love him utterly. The commander before Port Arthur one day He had called for volunteers to cut the barbed wire entanglement. This commander said to his soldiers, large group of soldiers, he said, you will never come back. He said, nor can you carry a gun. You will take your place on this steep embankment. You will cut one or two wires and then you will fall to your death. He said that another will take his place and cut one or two wires more and then fall to their death. But you will know that upon your dead bodies, the armies of your emperor will march to victory. Listen to this. Whole regiments volunteered for these sure death parties. Then this statesman, after he told that story, He looked at a room full of Christians and he said, if you are Christians, if you Christians loved your God as we love our emperor, you would have taken the world for him a long time ago. Don't just tell me that you love God because you admire him. Your love for God is backed up through your actions. We have Christians across America who are asleep. And we're losing this country. We let a few radical, excuse me for the term, idiots, hijack this country with ridiculous ideology. And all Christians can do is complain about it. You say, well, pastor, what else can we do? Get busy loving God. God gave us the church to be uh, the place where we serve Him. Get to church and love God through your church. And if Christians across this country would flock back to church and be faithful to church and give to the cause of the church, not only financially, but in service, and get active and get involved, we would take this country back for the Lord Jesus Christ. But instead, our Saturdays are filled with leisure. Our lives are filled with nice, expensive things. We love things and we love prestige and we love fame and we love comfort more than we love our God. Letter D, lastly, we see in 
Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 13, we see our focus. Our focus. You came to church on old-fashioned Sunday, you're getting an old-fashioned sermon this morning. Look at verse 13. To keep the commandments of the Lord. In my Bible, I have those words to keep highlighted. You can circle them, you can underline them. To keep the commandments of the Lord and His statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. To keep. To keep means many things. It means to guard them. You keep something that means you value them. What are the commandments of the Lord? We're to cherish them. We're to live them. We're to pass them along to the next generation. And that next generation should know just how much we value it. Now listen up. This requires an intentional focus and in not only what God has given us, that would be His Word, but on who God is and how He loves us, that's daily benefits those those daily needs that are met. And that's on how He loved us through Calvary. We love Him because He first loved us. Christian, are there things in your life that are competing for God's love? It's time to get back to fearing God, following God, having a fervor for God, and being wholly focused on our God. Lord, I pray this morning that this time of invitation would help us to take a good, hard look at where we stand in our love for You. May there be an admiration that is true down to the very bones of our body, the very core of our soul. But Lord, help that to turn into an action that is evident and obvious that we love You. Lord, I pray if there's one here today that has not yet given their heart to You for salvation, that they would realize that Jesus paid the price for sin on the cross. The work is finished. Only thing left to be done is just to believe. But Lord, for the rest of us here today, may we be made aware of how we can love You more. Lord God, I want to love You more. I can't wait until I get to heaven and my flesh is no longer in the way. And I can love You with every fiber of my being. Lord, help each of us today to make a commitment to Christ. To love You. And love You more than we did when we came in this morning. Lord, send a spirit of revival when it comes to love through this church. Get our attention. The one here that is the most calloused and hard-hearted. Spirit of God, I pray like a sledgehammer, You'd break that hard heart. You'd rip off that callous and may the emotion of love go flowing through that soul yet again. In Jesus' name.